When people encountered Jesus, they were amazed. They still are. His teaching, His wisdom, His power, His compassion, His kindness, His grace still amazes me. How about you? For lack of a better term, I've been referring to this Sunday as Amazed at Jesus Sunday. And we're going to look back and share stories of how God has amazed us this past year. As a congregation, we've spent the better part of this school year working through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of his great sermon, we read these words. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. And last week we looked at this distinction that the gospel writer Matthew wants us to see between crowds and disciples. Matthew plays with these labels over the course of his gospel. The crowds admire Jesus. Crowds enjoy the teaching of Jesus. The crowds are glad to accept the help of Jesus. But the disciples are the few that step out of the crowd and make a commitment. They're the ones that do what Jesus says. They decide they're not just going to be fans, but followers of Jesus. Everyone, everyone was amazed at Jesus. The crowds were amazed at what Jesus said to them. The disciples were amazed at what Jesus did in them. And this morning, I'm going to share some stories that you sent to me about the things that Jesus has done in you. For the remainder of our time together, we will review the teaching of Jesus and share the stories that have come from you. We will review Jesus' teachings and share your stories. That's our two-part agenda. We've learned a lot this year together. I received this email about our nightly Facebook group. This person writes, each night, the breathing room, in the breathing room, hundreds of people are logging in across hundreds of homes. It's so beautiful to see and be a part of. It struck me tonight, this person writes, how true it is that the church isn't about the building. This season is showing me how important relationships are. It's showing me that God is moving and God is drawing us closer to Him and closer to each other during this time that we are apart. Weird, huh? And yeah, it is weird. Uh, all of our understanding about what it means to be the church of Jesus is being stretched in this season in really healthy ways. I got an another email that says this. This person writes, I've looked forward to the online Sunday mornings with Ward every week. Something to hold on to in uncertain times. This past week we had unexpected and sad news that our two and a half year old precious grandson had an MRI showing his brain cancer had returned after nine months of being clear. While trying to be strong for his mom and my daughter and son-in-law uh, son and his parents, I was falling apart inside. I've prayed all week and read my Bible more than ever. I have felt hope returning, and today's service was just the message that I needed. I think this was the message about the foundation that Jesus uh, uh, provides. This storm in our lives will be met with God's love and hope and protection, and we will lean into that as his disciples. Jesus offers a life of grace and hope. Amen. Uh, that is so true. We are learning so much in this season for sure. And I'm grateful for the ways that people are applying the teaching of Jesus to real life. And especially to those toughest situations in real life. We started our study on the Sermon on the Mount back in September. The Sermon on the Mount begins with the section often called the Beatitudes. 
It's kind of a preamble to the rest of this sermon. That word beatitude comes from a Latin word meaning, meaning blessed or blessed. These are the blessed people. And we spent the entire fall on Sunday mornings and in our small groups uh, working at learning about discussing the upside down kingdom of God and its upside down value system. Many of us committed this section to memory. So I'd like to ask you to do today what we did every Sunday this fall, and that is to read together aloud the Beatitudes. So wherever you are, if you're all by yourself or you're with your family or with a group, if you're able to, would you please stand to your feet and join me in the spiritual discipline of reading scriptures aloud. This is the word of God from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated if you're standing up. I think it's significant that our church year that began with these beatitudes has ended in a global pandemic and racial unrest. These days we're thinking more about those who mourn. We're thinking more about those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We're recognizing the value of the peacemakers. We've seen a stark contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, and the Beatitudes are needed more in our lives maybe than ever before. Our kids and our teens have studied the Beatitudes right along with us. So of our young adults, this has been an all-church study, and I want you to hear from some people in our church uh, on how they're wrestling with these words of Jesus. Let's watch. I started my first small group at Ward with the start of our Beatitude series. Um, and when I started the small group and started the series, I don't think I was prepared um, or had any clue of what kind of challenge it would be for me um, or how it would really deepen my relationship with Christ throughout the process. Um, the Beatitudes really starts out with like the Sermon on the Mount. It just starts out um, with Jesus talking about his upside down kingdom. And I think that was, um, something I hadn't really thought about before. I don't think I'd spent much time in the Beatitudes leading up to this. Um, and as it just starts out with, um, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And for someone like me, I spend a lot of my time striving. And I think even as being a Christian for years, um, I feel like every year the Lord is trying to teach me again that I don't need to like measure up to something, that I don't have to work to be good enough, but that His grace um, and His like work on the cross was sufficient for me. 
Um, and the Beatitudes really drilled that in. Um, throughout the series, it was just this reminder of like, I, I don't have to be striving for that because what the Lord's kingdom is, is not the kingdom that we usually experience in our culture. And if anything, it's so counter-cultural. And the fact that it's like, we as humans, um, in our brokenness and in our sin, it's like the Lord was there to intercede and that His work and His grace was sufficient. At the same time, um, during our Beatitude series, I uh, was losing my grandmother. And it was actually my small group that really became um, the comfort and the refuge throughout this process. Um, I had some, some of these people I had literally just met weeks before, um, but through just the conversations, through the scripture, I feel like, you know, it was like the fourth week in and I was really becoming friends and family with these people. Um, they were the ones who uh, were checking on how my grandmother was doing um, and they were some of the first people I was able to share my grief with. Um, at the same time, we were going through, um, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And really, as I reflected on the Beatitude series, it feels like every single week brought a new challenge to go deeper with the Lord, a new challenge to sit at His feet, a new challenge to reorient the way I thought about His kingdom, the way I thought about what it means for me to live as His daughter. Um, and it was also this new, um, just a new piece of grace and a new piece of hope um, and freedom and comfort that the Lord was giving, that while I was mourning and grieving, um, He had given me this group of people who I got to share like meals with and we played games and we would just talk and, and really share life together in that series. But He was also giving me this, um, just this really good truth and challenge to sit at His feet as someone who was mourning and as someone who was feeling quite frankly very broken um, and very uncertain about what was going on. But the Lord was just reminding me to go deeper with Him um, and to push against you know, our cultural message to just move on and to keep pushing forward. But He was giving me space to really mourn um, and to really sit with Him. Um, and then He gave me these really great people who were there to do that with me. Um, so the Beatitudes was a bigger challenge than I imagined. But I think it's still challenging me um, to really live as someone who's a part of his upside down kingdom rather than striving to meet our cultural standards. Um, and that's been great. Jenny makes a great point. Truth and community are a powerful combination. What we really uh, lacked in this season uh, has been that community piece. We've been stuck in isolation. We need each other. Now, some of you are worshiping there at home with some family and with some friends. Uh, maybe you're part of a small group that meets on a non-Sunday morning time. But a lot of us have learned the value of having people around us who can help us understand the words of Jesus and apply it to our lives. We need each other in this. Jenny isn't the only one who experienced a loss during this season. I re received this note from Don and Debbie Peterson, who lost their son to COVID-19. This is what they wanted us to know. They write, we are indeed mourning our son Daniel's passing and probably still just at the beginning of that process. Debbie keeps imagining that he will come home from the hospital and we both expect to hear him get up in the middle of the night and raid the refrigerator. We experience spells of great sadness and yet we have been truly blessed and comforted. 
You have seen the Facebook posts, I have, with videos of many family members, friends, and neighbors, including some who don't even know us well, gathered socially distant outside our home, first to welcome me home for my own hospitalization, and then to pay tribute to Daniel. These gatherings were overwhelming. Such kindness and thoughtfulness from so many people who came to shed a tear with us. We receive hundreds of cards and gifts and many meals prepared by friends and neighbors. There is no question in our minds that all of these comforting gestures are from God. I feel like the blind man whose sight was restored by Jesus. I can't explain the whole meaning or mystery of this verse. But what I know for sure is that we are mourning and yet we are blessed and comforted. Thank you, Don and Debbie. The words of Jesus are not just profound, they are true. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And in many ways, this season has expanded our ability to be salt and light. I received this note from the president of a local company. He says, Scott, the past few weeks, I felt a heavy load being responsible for the well-being and safety of 950 employees and the customers in our stores as we were deemed essential and remained open to serve others. Our team had no experience in this area to fall back on, so we had to develop a whole new way to operate on the fly. There was only one place to turn to for help and guidance, so I prayed longer, harder, and more than I ever have. God gave me the right words to say to our team every morning for my daily updates. One morning, God told me to be bold and do not fear anymore about towing the line between wanting to share my faith and worrying if it would be accepted. I incorporated scriptures and talked about God in my message and felt a huge weight lifted off my my shoulders. One morning, after getting negative feedback the day before, God put an email in my inbox from a customer. I have no idea how she got my email address as it's not published anywhere. It was a compliment about an employee that helped her not buy something, but offering her an ear that she needed and to buy groceries for her. This employee had two deaths in his own family the previous week and still thought of others first. I passed the story on to our, uh, our entire company and told them that God uses people to show all of us what's really important in life, especially now. I passed the story on to the CEO of corporate and he did a video about it for every store in the whole country. I can't describe how emotional that morning was and how I felt God's presence like I never have before. I'm praying that I won't lose the boldness I have discovered this past week. Boldness was a theme in many of the stories that I have heard uh, this last week. Another theme was networking. That that is, uh, many stories were about how God used multiple people to meet a need. Somebody knew somebody who knew somebody, and then somebody who had a real need got that need met, often in a really big way. A lot of our uh, work distributing face shields and hand sanitizer and helping our central Detroit neighborhood get laptop computers and internet access all happened this way. Somebody knew somebody who knew somebody. Apparently, God is the great networker. And God wants multiple people to receive the blessing of helping somebody else. Here's another cool story about connection. This lady writes, God works in mysterious ways. He's never failed to help me when I was in need. He's he's always sent me helpers. One day, she says, I was scrolling through a community site for buying and selling, and a woman was asking for help. She was waiting to get a new job and did not have any food for her four kids. I responded to her ad. Many people told her not to beg for help, and they were rude. It could have been a scam, but I had a feeling that I needed the help. 
I contacted the person and she accepted my help. I ordered her at least two weeks worth of groceries from Instacart and had it delivered. I told the delivery person what I was doing and that it was not my home on the account and I explained it. She thanked me for allowing her to be part of such a good deed. She said it gave her chills. The single mother of four was very grateful. It was just a random act of kindness. God called on me to do this. She asked and she received. The story does not end there. Uh, the next day, I received a text from an unknown number that asked uh, if I had uh, helped somebody. It, it made me uh, nervous because I didn't know who the person was. Uh, and she said the person that I helped with groceries was one of her close friends and was really struggling. It turned out to be someone that I hadn't spoken to, someone I know that I hadn't spoken to in quite a long time. She saw my message and she recognized my name. She said that she was very appreciative of my help and that it went to a good person who truly needed it. And the silver lining, she says, was that I reconnected with an old friend and we ended up getting pedicures together a week later. She had lost, we had lost touch for several years prior to this and now we still keep in touch. The good deal united our 15-year-old friendship that had strayed. But more importantly, four babies got to eat. When God calls on us, we should answer. If that isn't God's goodness, I don't know what is. Right? This story started with a predicament and ended with a pedicure. Part of the genius of the Sermon on the Mount is the ability of the words of Jesus to impact everybody's life, whether you're old or young, rich or poor, religious or non-religious. A lot of you have said how much you've appreciated seeing children in our worship services recently reading the scriptures, sometimes acting out the scriptures in ways that have really lent to our understanding and our enjoyment of the Bible. The Shea family tunes into the Breathing Room on Facebook every night as a family. And earlier this month, we announced that we would no longer be broadcasting on the weekends, but would broadcast only on weeknights. And so the boys, Braden and Garrett, on their own initiative, decided they would uh, produce their own version of the Breathing Room. And I've uh, uh, gotten a pirated copy. Uh, watch as Garrett, age 10, hosts his own version of the Breathing Room. Watch this. Hi guys. Well, since it's Saturday and we have no breathing room from church tonight, I can do, I'll be doing the breathing room. And tonight's scripture reading is from Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So, like, it's amazing how he says, Take delight in God, and he will give you your desires. And like in the devotional, this means it's saying, don't, you don't need to do anything else. It doesn't matter if you're the most popular in your class, star of sports field, it doesn't matter. As long as you have God, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Which is so cool that these both can talk about that. And so, I think that, for me, I think, for me it would mean, like, not as much video games and other stuff that I do for fun. And I'd like you to take a moment now and think about what that other thing that you're doing than God. Take a moment to think about it.
and you guys can even talk about it together if you wanted. So tonight I'd like to close us in prayer. So just jo please join me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time to be connected. And we thank you for everything you've given us and a blessing you've given all of us. Help the world through this tough time. Help us to put our delights in you, not in other things. Help us to turn to you and look upon you. Help us to help others. We know you are the one, the only, and the only God. You are the best God anyone could ever have. And just help us to go tonight thinking about what is that other thing we use for instead of you. Help us to turn to you and praise you. In your name we pray, now and forever. Amen. Well, good night, guys. See you soon. Garrett, that was fantastic. You have remarkable insights, and I would like to make you an honorary member of the Ward Church pastoral team. You have a bright future. Let's move on to another key section of the Sermon on the Mount that we spent significant time on this last year, and that is the Lord's Prayer. Please watch this reminder of this great prayer, and then you hear from two couples about how this, uh, what this study has meant for them and to the members of their small group. Watch this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me. From my fears I sought the Lord And He answered me He delivered me From my fears I'm not scared here I'm not scared here Not scared here. I'm not scared
So we started our uh, all-church study on um, the Lord's Prayer, and we were super excited to just dive right in and to something that we had said all the time in our lives and maybe didn't have uh, uh, any kind of perspective on what that really meant. But w at the same time, the coronavirus was happening and everything was being shut down and it made it super topical and pertinent and really kind of spoke personal. to our heart and personal about what that Lord's Prayer really means. Yeah, little did we know that that prayer would be literally the words that we would um, need to dwell on during this key period of time in our life. The Lord knew that. He, he knew this was a perfect plan, right? But we started with our father and his grandeur. And um, when our small group was meeting on this particular prayer, at the time, just for context, at that time, that meeting was on for us um, March 13th, which was the day that schools closed down. And we were kind of not taking this extremely seriously, but we were serious, but we still met in person. And so we really reflected on you know, God's power and how he's in control and we just had that foundation. Well, then two weeks later, completely different perspective in just two short weeks. Um, the, the next verse or, or, uh, or scripture is, um, give us this day our daily bread. And that was a totally different ball game in just two short weeks. I mean, we were trying to figure out our jobs, our employment situation. We were trying to figure out how we get our daughter back from out of the country. And then you were even just going to the grocery store. So. Yeah, yeah. Daily bread really meant daily bread because I, would, I was the one who went to the grocery store. And it was very fearful to begin with. But then when you went to the store and you looked on the shelves, there was no bread. There was no rice, there was no pasta, there was all these staples that we took for granted every day we could just go to the grocery store and get. Well, those things were not there and it's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed our family? Right, and so it was at that point in time that our small group, we just naturally went into this weekly rhythm of meeting versus our bi-weekly meeting. We needed each other, we, we needed each other for just the confidence and the reminder that God's word and God's plan is sovereign. I mean, he is in total control of this and we do not need to worry or fear. And we needed each other's encouragement to think about that because um, our, our worlds were rocked. Our worlds were rocked big time. Yeah. So, and, and then meeting together, it really kind of gave us the hope in the Lord's prayer and in the Lord because everywhere from the outside, we were being bombarded with this. Okay, daily death tolls and daily hospitalizations and we don't know and things are shut down and schools are shut down. What is everybody gonna do? And we just felt like the weight of all that weighing on us, but yet those weekly sessions really kind of lifted us out of that and put our eyes back onto where they should be for our hope and salvation in the Lord. Well, at least it helped us get through the next day. I mean, that's all we could do at the time was just take it one day, literally one hour. And I actually remember in at night, you know, I would lay in bed and just sort of stew about all these things. And I would literally just pray the Lord's prayer word for word and meditate and, and just pause on the power of each word. And um, when I did that, 
I don't know if this is good or bad, but I ended up falling asleep. And it just gave me peace. And it was great. So grateful for that study. So this year we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount and during the time that we spent studying the Lord's Prayer we had some very incredible sharing in our small group and I'd just like to say that all my life I've said the Lord's Prayer rotely probably without thinking about it too much and then later on in life as I've studied it it's become more meaningful but particularly this year when we studied it one phrase a week it really brought home the words of Jesus and changed the way I thought about many of these phrases in the Lord's Prayer. But significantly, in the, the line that speaks about forgiveness, forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of others, that generated some very deep sharing within our small group and some deep thinking within myself as well. Yeah, that's, that's really true. And as we shared that evening, I, I could relate that to my own journey. It just brought to mind, you know, moments in my own life where I've been challenged to forgive people and to forgive people who really may not care whether they are forgiven or not. And to explore more deeply the link between uh, forgiveness and forgetting and how when we continue to remember something that happened to us, that we've tried to forgive, we feel those same feelings that we had come up the first time, and there's a sense of being re-victimized. But once we are able to, to bring that act of forgiveness into our own, our own life, our own character, our own personality, then we, we can let go of those feelings because we are free in Christ to, to live fully and freely. Uh, as people and not to have that continual event residing in our mind forever. But we can forgive and we can let go. We may not forget, but we can forgive and be free. And I think that as we shared these things in our small group, there was that sense of safety and trust that we've built up over the years to the point where people could share deep things like what Bill was saying and feel the healing and the prayer of the other people in the group, holding them up and helping them to um, realize that freeing nature of forgiveness. The teaching of Jesus never gets old. And just when you think you've mastered it, the words of Jesus come at you in a fresh way and speak to your unique situation. This happens time and time again. I think this is part of what it means when the Bible says, uh, talks about the living and active nature of God's Word. And now, at the end of nine months of working through the Sermon on the Mount, line by line, we have to admit that we are no masters. We are just scratching the surface of the deep kingdom of God and of our willingness to step into this kingdom. There's much more teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that we could review. There are many more stories that we could share and there are even still more stories still in the making. The invitation at the end of this series is to decide to become a Sermon on the Mount person 
a golden rule following, salt of the earth spreading, light of the world shining, other cheek turning, second mile going, kingdom first seeking, non-judging, one day at a time, narrow gate entering, good tree fruit bearing, house on the rock, disciple of this man. Read this sermon again and again and again for the rest of your life. Revel in its goodness. Come to love its words. Come to love the one who spoke these words. Do what Jesus said. And now we end where the Sermon on the Mount ends, amazed. If you're at a place where you can do so, please stand and join in the singing of this old hymn, I stand amazed at the presence of Jesus the Nazarene.
How marvelous, how wonderful is the Savior's love. At the end of a year-long study, all I can offer you is the grand invitation of Jesus. Follow him. Learn from him. Find yourself in him. Make your foundation in him. And now receive this benediction from the New Testament book of Revelation, chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen.